Hello, I'm Brendan Ogle. I'm speaking to you from Dublin, Ireland. It's Thursday the 7th of May 2020 and you're very, very welcome to episode 4 of my podcast, Left is Right. Well, we've moved into, I suppose, the beginning of the next phase of the pandemic in Ireland and elsewhere with our caretaker government having published last Friday its initial plans for the slow unwinding of the public health provisions that have been put in place to keep us all safe. Um, And I hope, uh, as I record this podcast, that you, your family, all your loved ones are, are well, are taking care of each other and are doing everything you can to come through this dreadful situation, this global pandemic, as good as possible. I'm aware as I speak that uh, a lot of people have suffered loss in their families, in their communities, in their trade unions. We in Unite Trade Union, particularly my colleagues and comrades in the United Kingdom, have lost quite a number of our members, uh, including executive members and and senior people. um, And that's a great loss and I'm sure and I know there will be a time when we come through this to, to properly mark their loss and their contribution to our movement. But, but wherever you are and whoever is suffering, uh, and indeed for our frontline emergency workers, be they nurses, healthcare workers, people in the retail sector, the emergency services, uh, and any other, anybody else that's out there working to keep us all safe, um, again, you know, our greatest, greatest respects. Um, let's hope that this emergency will start to unwind sometime soon and we can come through this. I had hoped and and said to you that uh, I will be having a conversation in in the podcast with my friend and colleague uh, activist in the United States, Nalini Stamp. Nalini uh, unfortunately has suffered some um, terrible losses herself in her own family uh, in the last couple of weeks and indeed uh, Nalini has been unwell for a period of that point herself. So that podcast is on hold for now and, and I wish Nalini and, and, and of course everybody um, the very, very best and, and look forward to doing that. The subject matter of episode four is going to be uh, an interview uh, I recorded earlier and I really, really enjoyed with Dr. Connor McCabe. Connor uh, was the author of a Unite paper which was published recently called Hope or Austerity, a roadmap for a better, fairer Ireland after the pandemic. And we're going to go through certain aspects of the paper uh, and, and the motivation behind the paper in the interview with Connor. Um, the interview is about 50 minutes long. Uh, it touches on some really topical issues such as workers' rights issues and they're really important as we discuss uh, and, and we start, well, I, I hope there's going to be a discussion about what sectors of society are going to open first and how the workers uh, and the citizens who use those um, parts of the economy, be it construction or the hospitality sector, um, you know, can safely do so. And I hope that's going to be a proper, honest conversation with proper worker input and that forms part of a conversation with Connor. So without further ado from me, um, uh, I hope you enjoy the interview. Um, we have a situation arise in Dublin, just one example of a business, a famous business, uh, which announced disclosure today in Bewley's, which is touched upon in a very, very powerful way in this interview. So enjoy the interview and welcome to episode four of Left is Right. Hello, Connor. Yeah. How are you doing? Connor, thanks for joining us. Um, 
I'm joined now by Conor McCabe, Dr. Conor McCabe, for episode four of my podcast, Left is Right. In the last couple of weeks, uh, United Trade Union have published a paper authored by Connor. The name, the title of the paper is self-explanatory and is really the subject matter of this podcast. The title is Hope or Austerity, a Roadmap for a Better, Fairer Ireland After the Pandemic. Connor, uh, you were asked to, to write the paper. It's been published and we're going to, go to, going to talk through some of its co- core elements uh, in this podcast. Just before we do that, can you tell us from your own point of view, what was the motivation from your point of view uh, behind writing the paper? Uh, yeah, I mean, um, like um, at its basis, um, it's about making sure that there are progressive stroke and left wing arguments and the solutions that are being put forward in this debate that is going to uh, happen. So um, so in Ireland, uh, we're not short of right wing kind of commentators telling us what's best for us, you know. Um, so it's about making sure that 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 we on the left, um, you know, um, have our own kind of solutions and are confident in our own solutions. So it's really kind of feeding into that. So it's um, it's feeding into the work that's been done by Unite, um, by Nearly as well, and by other kind of organisations and our groupings who are putting out more kind of progressive, stuck kind on of left wing kind of arguments uh, for what to do. Um, in a post-COVID Ireland. Yeah, my own, um, I'm struck as a trade unionist. Mm. Um, if we look back at the, the last uh, disaster or, or, or economic disaster anyway, uh, which began around 2008, um, and um, I'm struck by the fact that there, there, there wasn't really um, a documented, certainly there wasn't a documented uh, or a strategic trade union approach to how to deal with that particular disaster. Um, do you think uh, it's going to be difficult, Connor, uh, and to, to impact on the conversation you make reference there to we're not very short of right-wing commentators? Um, and I know you've been working with Unite, but in terms of getting the message through, how important do you think it is that there is an alternative positive at this point? Um, I think it's, it's, it's really um, important. Uh, there are certain like differences now more positive ones, I think, anyway, than we can two thousand and eight. I mean, um, I do remember it, and uh, you know, there was um, there was a sense of you know how at the time people didn't really know how to make sense of it. There was a struggle to try and uh, get a, a a a kind of take on the size and scale of the issue. I think now we have uh, um, Irish people are a lot more. They they're a lot more kind of radicalized now than they were back in two thousand and eight up to twenty thirteen kind twenty fourteen even you know so I mean like part of that you know is down to uh, right to water and to right to change and the whole kind of water movement um but it's also that you know that there's a generation out there now who um who are you know who are very very clear um as to you know how power works in this country now. So it's about speaking to that kind of audience, speaking to our own kind of members as like trade unionists, but also talking to people outside of the trade union movement and saying to them, we actually have a vision here for Ireland. Uh, you know, it, it's one that's workable. It is doable. It's worth fighting for. And, you know, come join us and we will join you as well, you know. Yeah, we talk about some of the elements now and, and, and you, you described them as workable. And, and I think they are workable. I, I also... 
and some of the elements we're going to discuss, I think they're essential. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that. I, 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 I'm brought back uh, to, I remember very well the day the bank guarantee was signed. Right. It's kind of like a Kennedy moment for me. Yeah. Um, I remember where I was. I was in a, a hotel in Fell, a Fells Point Hotel in Tralee that morning. I was involved as a, a representative of ESB workers at the time in negotiations around what turned out to be the closure of Tarbert Power Station. And I was down there for a few months, actually. And I was, I was preparing for the latest day of negotiations and I was listening to Morning Ireland. Uh, and the guarantee had been, had been signed uh, overnight. Um, and the late Brian Lenehan um, was on Morning Ireland. And I remember specifically him saying that this guarantee was a guarantee. Uh, he didn't think it would ever be used. Um, and he did believe that insofar as it might have to be used, it would be the, it would be a cheap guarantee. It didn't turn out like that, Connor, did it? No, it did not at all. No. And um, no, I mean, at the time as well, I mean, um, I was writing for a little blog called Dublin Opinion that was run by a friend of mine called uh, uh, McDonough Brennan. And um, we had been covering the housing stuff. And at, on the day of the bank guarantee, I wrote a post saying, make no mistake, this is a seriously bad, a, a, a seriously bad by decision, you know, it's still up actually. And, um, and like, I had no takers, you know, it was just, there was a feeling of, well, no, this is probably the best thing to do. And, you know, I don't think that will happen this time around. I, I think Irish people are a lot more clued in now. Um, so I think that there's more of an appetite and there's more kind of openness for, you know, alternative ideas. Uh, certainly, Known uh, Fianna Fáil and like Fianna Gael and probably the Greens, if you go in, are going to have a hard sell this time with, with austerity, you know, because like there will be people on the streets again. How much did the bank guarantee cost, Connor? Um, the controller and auditor general did a report on it. Um, he, uh, he updated it there recently, I think it was last year, and I think it's ballpark figure just from memory. But it's around 32 billion net is the is the costs to the Irish state, and that's just in that's that's in the cost of the guarantee and of the various kind of bank re kind of capitalizations. That's not uh, factoring in um, the lost kind of productivity, the lost jobs, all the other stuff that then came from it. So the baseline figure is around just from memory, it's in 30 to 32 billion net. That's never coming back. It's just that's it. It's gone. Okay, and and we 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 just I just want to ask that figure and have that figure out mm. there in, in listeners' minds in terms of the sort of measures that are are, are being uh, mm. considered in the in the by the government implemented by the, yeah. the caretaker government moment and the sort of measures that the paper uh, hope or austerity a roadmap for a better fairer Ireland after the pandemic is calling for, um, because we're gonna we're gonna compare. Um, where that money went and and what exactly we're looking to happen now. Mm. Um, I'm also one of one of my my other memories of that time. I have a lot of them actually, but one of my other memories of that time is the is this phrase, which I which I took serious as I think a lot of people took exception to. Um, but it was it became um, part of what I what I call the crushing consensus that mm. exists in Ireland in these situations. First of all, we had a situation whereby um, I think it's important to remember this. Before the crash, Ireland was the best little country in the world to do business. Yeah. 
we had effectively uh, developed a new economic model. We were the superstars of the European Union, substance, mm. uh, self-declared, Charlie McCreevy et al. Anybody that didn't like that uh, could, could choose whether to, whether to, would to, be, whether to accept uh, abuse uh, as being described as a left-wing pinko, uh, as a Charlie McCreevy, mm. or, or just go and kill yourself, as Bertie Ahern uh, exactly, suggested, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. famously at a mm. trade union conference. And, and the, the airwaves, I remember this specifically, uh, the airwaves... Like, I remember Sean Fitzpatrick uh, being interviewed at the time, uh, Anglo-Irish Bank, a number of times on, our, on, on, on these long weekend talk shows on RTE. And it was, it was as if he was a superstar. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Sean's problem at the time was there wasn't enough. There was too much regulation. Um, this was in 2005, 2006, 2007. And then when people started to get a little bit concerned, no, very few people dared put their head above the parapet um, and we were told then when it happened that, that it was necessary, the bank guarantee was necessary, the subsequent austerity was necessary because we all partied. That was yeah. a really jarring phrase, wasn't it? I mean, were you partying, Connor? Come on. Jesus, no, no, God, no. I mean, I was, I was signing on at the time. Actually, it was hard just to find work. Uh, but yeah. um, but um, no, actually, no, no. I, I, I was teaching English at the time. And then but by January 2009 just working it dried up um yeah. but um no. well, as i said i was down i was down in Tralee. Uh, yeah i mean involved in negotiations about the closing of power stations yeah exactly um, yeah. the loss of jobs in rural ireland now we all partied i might have had a couple of pints at night after the meeting but uh, i don't think the closing of power stations and the loss of do- the loss of jobs in 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 in, in rural ireland uh, esb jobs in rural ireland has turned out to be so that was really jarring and, and i'm making that point as well because as we head into this era um, of uh, another austerity era, you know, it's not really comparable, uh, Connor. What's happening now? What happened then? And the reasons for it, from from the, from the, the point of view of the citizens or businesses, it's not really comparable, is it? No, but well, like at one level, it isn't. But like what I kind of talk about in the paper is that we're dealing with like we're dealing with the same mentality and the same way of of treating our citizens is still really there like that hasn't changed like in the last kind of 10 12 years there's been no reform in terms of kind of mentalities in like the department of finance or justice and you know direct uh, provision is an absolute scandal um even in terms of like COVID-19 as well um you know so there's been and like even with the HSE as well so there's been no the state got through this and it didn't really have to change its own mentalities too much. So, like, there have been some concessions made, but really, it's still it's still approaching this problem uh, the way that it approached uh, in two thousand eight. Uh, not exactly like the same, but there's still the the same kind of thinking kind of behind it. And that's one of the things that I tried to highlight in the uh, paper for like Unite, you know, because I mean that's it's a lot more subtle now. But it is still there. Um, for example, um, all of the business kind of supports that have been put forward by the business, they're really geared to help banks and landlords rather than actual businesses or like SMEs. Yeah, we're going to go into that because mm. I think debt is going to be the. Yeah. We'll go into that in a bit of depth, Connor, in a few minutes. I think debt's going to be a big issue. Yeah. I think you've, you've talked to me about that and, and you've persuaded me that <laughs> that's really where this is going to end up. But, but in terms of. For, the, for myself and the listeners, for, 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 for lay people, we, we all feel in our gut 
that there wasn't really any any major reform across a wide range no. of um, of official Ireland. Can you can you explain to us, Connor, um, from the, the the financial sector, the, the 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 regulation of the financial sector of the banks of the central bank, um, just just. How little reform has there been? Well, I mean, uh, like the like the one kind of major kind of reform that has happened is that um, the kind of oversight of, let's say, I think it's AIB and like Bank of Ireland, um, that that's now taken at a European level, not just at a kind of um, at a national level. So there has been some kind of tightening up in terms of of the banks themselves there's a lot more there's a lot more kind of oversight in terms of how much capital they hold and how much they can absorb as 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 a glasses but really when it gets into um to the banking sector itself you know itself there's still and and this is a phrase used by uh by um patrick hunahan um in his report on the on the banks prior to the crisis, he said that there was a culture of deference, like to the banks in in the civil service in the central bank, and I don't see any change there really. You know, like there is still that whole kind of deference. Um, you know, uh, so in terms of that, there's been no real change. It, there really is still a a case of, um, it's almost like it's it's the state's responsibility to almost maintain bank kind of profitability rather than the banking system as a as a public service it's certainly not that anyway so i mean yeah you know so i mean that has still maintained it still gears um social policy economic policy and like financial policy more or less to answer the interests of the banks rather than people for, for example and I mean, you know, this may this may take about two three minutes just to explain, but okay, go ahead. Um, going back to the we all party line from uh, the late kind of Brian Lenahan, um, like what was put out first in in two thousand and eight, it was that this was caused by the housing crash and the housing crisis. It wasn't, um, like Anglo Irish Bank didn't get involved in mortgages. Really, it, it was all in commercial property. It was commercial property that brought down. It was bad loans in the commercial property uh, sector that brought down um, Anglo and the Irish nationwide, and would have brought down AIB and and the Bank of Ireland uh, as well. Uh, so what they did was that they took those loans off the books of the banks uh, via NAMA. However, when the housing crisis did hit, which was more around two thousand and ten to twenty thirteen. Mm. They, they they couldn't do a kind of second name for for those loans. So to kind of cut a long story short, they they decided to bring in vulture funds uh, to clean up the bad mortgage loans that are now that were then on the books of the banks. So that's been pretty much the story since kind of twenty twelve. Uh, they also changed. Um, rules around um corporate landlords via REITs and, and and so forth in order also to try and like clean up the kind of buy to lets and the other kind of bad loans that were there and the and the more housing kind of development ones that were mm. that were basically still on the books. So you had REITs um that are real estate investment trusts. They were 
brought in, it, you know, laws changed by John Moran now, who's, who's putting himself forward as the people's champion. And um, in my opinion, he's, you know, he um, he needs to prove himself on that, uh, to, to kind of put it mildly. But um, so if you look at it in terms of what was the reaction of the state when the housing crisis did hit, it was it was still to how do we how do we protect the banks, and they took the the, the measure to protect the banks kind of balance sheets. We'll bring in REITs and we'll bring kind of vulture funds and we'll set up kind of mortgage books instead of actually looking at how can we do something here for people. So that's carried through even 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 to today. So the system kind of today is still kind of based around corporate landlords, REITs, banks. These are the three or four kind of elements that it, that really need to be that really need to be protected in a post-COVID Ireland. When really it's not. It's 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 the people themselves, as it always has been. Okay. Well, I remember uh, also um, the then Minister for Finance, Joint Minister for Finance, along with Labour's Brendan mm-hmm. Howland. He was he was quite uh, Michael Noonan. I'm talking about. He was he was quite almost uh, you know insulting. Uh, but he was he he started talking about vultures being a good thing and how it's necessary to pick for a vulture to pick the carcass clean and and all that sort of stuff. Um, anyway, well, it's, it's, just, a, it's a it's a good point because I mean. Um, like, like I don't want to speak well of the dead. Can I say that? <laughs> uh, but like, with like Brian Enneken Jr., I got the impression he, he he was battling against something that that really he knew was it was kind of wrong and would hurt people. Noonan mm. Noonan just gave me the impression that he enjoyed it. He he yeah. enjoyed the or enjoys the the suffering. He enjoys the. That that wielding of power, I never got that from Brian Jr. And listen, that's not to to get him off the hook. He signed up to the deal. He he had he has or had a lot to answer for, and, and I hope history isn't kind to him that way. But I don't get the impression that there was a glee to it, which you do. Which I'm sorry, but I did I did get off like Noonan. Yeah, I, I agree. I I, I knew uh, Brian Lennon Jr. All right, bit. okay. Um, and um, I I actually ended up having a what was for me quite a, a difficult exchange with Brian um, in in the Today FM studio on one occasion, right. um, where you know I was I was speaking uh, rather in my own <laughs> inimitable <laughs> way I think about yeah. these matters, and Brian was on next, um, and um, he could he was he was outside and he could hear me. Um, what I was saying on air, and when I left the studio, we had a we had a, a very terse exchange. Um, but but having having said that, um, I also I agree with your analysis, Connor. I I did get the impression that Brian Lenehan took took little pleasure. Yeah, that's the uh, that's in, 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 in took little pleasure in in, in and, and look, I think I think it's given that we've we've stumbled into this conversation. I think it's fair for the record to to say that, and and definitely, and don't get me started on on, on Michael Noon and, and I, I, I could go back to to to, to uh, Bridget McCall, who I, I wrote a thesis on once uh, when I was studying law and, and a few years ago, and and how he handled that as Minister of Health. We'll move on. We'll yeah, move on. Absolutely. Um, we move. We move on. So, so getting into the paper then, and and I, I have an I have an order in which I want to discuss things here written down. But given the way the conversation is going, I'm, go, I'm going to reverse it a bit. So, 
I found it very interesting uh, when I seen the first draft of your paper and we and we discussed mm-hmm. it through. Um, the the issue around debt, Connor, and I, I, I woke up this morning and a number of people would have woke up this morning um, to the news that Bunes, yes. um that famous uh, Dublin cafe in Grafton Street, um, was 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 gone out of business. And and when I when I looked into it this morning, there's a, there's a a, a big enough article in the Irish Times and it makes it clear that Bewley's hadn't paid their rent. Uh, can imagine what the rents on Grafton Street are. It doesn't say what they are, but um, for the, the second quarter of the year, effectively. Yeah. And I think they're on a 21 or 28 day notice um, from the landlord. Um, and Bewley's have announced now um, that they won't be opening yeah. again. Um, and I don't want to go into Bewley's uh, other than as an example. I don't know whether Bewley's treat their staff. Uh, a treat, uh, it's a nice place to go for coffee, certainly. I don't know whether Bewley's treat their staff better or worse than 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 is uh, than the rest of the hospitality sector. I'll be doing a podcast in the future with Julia Marciniak about yeah. that. But um, just as an example, that's the sort of issue you're touching upon your paper. Business need help, Connor, don't they? What sort of help do they need and what should be the price? Of that state had. Well, I mean, um, on Bewley's, and actually, I used to work for Bewley's back in the 1980s in like Grafton Street, actually. You don't I am, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ancient, but like, um, <laughs> like, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm too old for this shit, you know, but like, um, <laughs> uh, but where is it? Yeah, so, um, on the Bewley's thing, like the landlord is, is like Johnny Rowland. Um, he was, he was, uh, he was, his company was, it was bailed out by, uh, via Nama, you know, and like he has a very, as is his want, because he's a, you know, he has that arrogance. Um, he said that it's not his job to to subsidize Bewley's. Uh, when let me get this, let me get this straight now, Connor. Mm. So we we <laughs> exactly. we the taxpayer bailed out Johnny Rowan. more or less his he, his company to anyway. His, yeah, well, well, more yeah. I think, Connor. Um, to to you know, very polite mm. to 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 a, to a spectacular yeah. degree, and and now Johnny Ronan's company um is a landlord of Bewley's, yeah. and Bewley's because they're closed due to a pandemic, not of their mm. or anybody else's making in the business sector, um and let's not beat up on business. We need business for jobs, mm. you know. Um, so due to no fault on Bewley, they're they're not in a position to pay the rent like many other businesses won't be. And and it's and, and and Johnny Ronan, can I put it this way? Johnny Ronan isn't shown showing the sort of patience to Bewley's that was shown to him. Is that fair? Yes, absolutely. And and he's charging them um, according to Bewley's, uh, it's one point five million a year rent, um, which they say it's just this. We just can't do this. I mean, they're selling coffee and buns, um, but like, um, but yeah, I mean, we could see this kind of coming down. Deep road, and that's the canaries. So, what does the paper? What does the paper? What does the paper suggest should happen in, in cases such as Bewley's, Connor? And there'll be many. Well, first of, of all, I mean, it calls for a change in a legislation so that any any mispayments can't be used in any kind of de- uh, default or kind of um, any kind of default kind of rulings because we, we saw this coming down the road. We could see that, um, like landlords are a priority uh, debtor under. Under Irish law, everyone else comes second. Well, almost everyone else comes uh, comes second. Certainly, workers do, and like workers' pensions do. So, um, so um, we could see that 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 this type of incidents could happen. Um, what we call for in the document is for a, a struct is for a, a commercial rental moratorium 
of at least three to maybe kind of six months, um, a change in the law so that companies can't be brought to court for any mispayments as a result of of the of the shutdown. And then thirdly, uh, that we have a structured um, process for a kind of debt and 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 rent kind of write down for businesses that are kind of affected. And um, just on the the, the, the that point, just to, just to maybe kind of um, frame where this document is coming from. Um, it's not a wish list for um, what Ireland should be like. You know, you know, a kind of eco feminist socialist Ireland. Um, what it's doing is that it's saying that given what's facing us in the short to medium term as a result of COVID-19, what should our reaction be in terms of this? So that's why, like, some people might find it strange that you have, you know, a trade unionist and and a, and a socialist writer as myself talking about how do we save kind of businesses. But, like, it's... It's really that that's part of the overall kind of scheme that we're in at this moment in, in the next kind of three to six to kind of 12 months. So we need to look to kind of look at kind of SMEs and kind of have them open up as quickly as is possible. But given the, the estates bias like towards landlords and banks, it's it's not happening. So we really need to, to, to kind of make those arguments. Yeah, well, I want, uh, I'm glad you said that because on, on my own behalf, and, and people know that apart from this podcast, I'm some people know I'm the, the senior officer for Uniting the Republic of Ireland. So I, su- I suppose on behalf of Uniting the Republic of Ireland, just to clarify, um, I see absolutely mm. no issue um, with looking for supports for businesses. Um, as a, and I say that mm. as a trade unionist, businesses, particularly SMEs. Um, and you can tell us to what extent, Connor, in terms of the, the percentage of businesses, are the lifeblood of that we need to have a functioning society. And we can talk once we have a functioning society and a functioning economy driving that society, we can talk about you know where where the the, the fruits of that mm. should be spent. But we need businesses functioning, we need SMEs functioning, we need a, a strong indigenous sector, and we need that. Uh, to create yeah. jobs and to create to, to create the opportunities for our for our members and hopefully future members and for workers and their families to to grow and if those businesses um just what what the, what's the proportion connor because we hear a lot about um foreign direct yeah. investment yes. in ireland and about how we're a small open economy and you've got the googles and the ebays and the intels and everything every policy seems to be driven at attracting those sort and making it as easy as possible for those companies to function in ireland I've often felt down through the years that sometimes that's at the expense of the sort of supports that small and medium businesses yeah. need. And just as much of our economic sector um, is made up of these small and businesses, uh, small and medium businesses who, who need these. Well, I mean, ninety-eight um, percent of all businesses in Ireland are 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 SMEs. Um, ninety-eight percent. It's around there. It's around kind of ninety-eight. Well, over the well in the nineties, anyway. Know, and the high nineties, um, around seventy percent um, uh, of employment in the state is with uh, business SMEs. Um, so I mean, like e- even in terms of the employment, it's a it's a huge part of it. If, if once you take out kind of finance and the public sector, it's SMEs that are really employing people, 
and especially when you get outside of Dublin and the and the main cities. Um, and those businesses didn't cause this pandemic. Those businesses didn't close. No, no, no. And and most of them are are quite small. It's 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 less than twenty five employees, or even kind of one third. I think is 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 less than like ten employees. So, so these are small kind of businesses. Um, but, but but collectively they employ hundreds of thousands of 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 people in areas where where there's no other kind of employment happening. Um, there's a very interesting kind of report that's been done there recently on the effect um, of um, of COVID nineteen on like businesses, and around forty three percent of all SMEs in the state um, just. Um, they um, they cannot avoid meeting people. The whole business is with kind of direct contact with people. They can't be um, kind of done done remotely. It can't be done from from people's homes. So this is the sector that really needs our support. The the they also tend to be non export businesses. Um, so any. What's the significance? What's the well, significance? Um, of that? I think that, like, what we will hear from from like Pascal Donahue and from finance is that we need to get exports up and running, and that will get our, our kind of GDP up and running again. That's like, in terms of the accountancy numbers, that's true, but but in terms of jobs, that's not where it'll be. And um, going back to our recent kind of experience, uh, you may can remember. That from around 2015 onwards, there was a so-called jobless recovery in Ireland, mm. where the where the GDP was going up and the figures were all going up, but they weren't being leprechaun, leprechaun economics. economics because I mean, um, I like any focus purely on exports at this or export-led kind of recovery is not going to really kind of cut it for those hundreds of thousands of like businesses. Um, in this state, I mean, they need support, and what's killing them is um, there's three broad kind of um, non-discretionary payments, which they, which you know, which are really kind of killing them. A, a one is rates, um, other is rents, and then the third is insurance. Now, on on rates, the government hasn't come out and is going to kind of suspend rates pretty much for the end of the year. Um, that's payment of them. They, they'll have. To kind of make up that, uh, but that's just is, a debt, yeah. Isn't it? And then, uh, what help? What well, I mean, help it'll that? buy them time, and but like when it does come to it, there was still need, like that was still need to kind of feed into a debt kind of write down. Now, what the uh, what the government has said is that, uh, but because the commercial rates fund local government, they'll make up that difference for this year from the central funding, um. But like for for next year onwards, like this this all gets down to, we are going to need some form of a debt debt write down or a debt jubilee for this period, including rents. Because if we don't, if the government steps in and starts giving purely grants or to like businesses to help them pay rents, that's not a bailout of those companies. That's a bailout of the of the landlord. Because they're getting full whack for a time when large sections of the economy are in kind of shutdown. It's you know it's just it's it's crazy economics. That's real kind of voodoo economics. 
So, so, the, so for public health yeah. reasons, the economy has been put into, I think the word, word that's been yeah. used is cold storage. But, but debts, um, insurance debts, rent debts, and you've spoken about rates, um, are going to continue to accrue. And when, when hopefully we have a reopening and, and things start to hopefully soon get back to normal, um, businesses are going to be confronted uh, with these debts that whatever arguments you can make about 2008, and I'd make very strong ones, and you clearly have, um, those debts are definitely in this specific case not of the makings of the businesses Absolutely. or indeed the households where we're going yeah. to get into mortgage debt. They're, they're made by this public yeah. health emergency. Yeah. Absolutely, right? you know. So, and, and, you know, as we see with Bewley's, there's a, like, like if there's a very real threat over these companies that if you miss this rent, they, they could end up, you know, losing their assets, you know, as the, as the landlords kind of move in. So, like, it's a very, very real threat. Now, going back to the solutions that are put forward from 2012 on the, from 2011 on to 2015, in terms of the mortgage debt that had kind of built up and people just couldn't pay back, the plan was to bring in kind of vultures and, and get it kind of sorted like that way. In the absence of a debt kind of write down uh, system, um, I don't see how the government is going to do anything different for businesses. So you could see kind of these kind of vulture fund kind of businesses coming in to kind of pick at the bones of of the SMEs that are out there, you know? Because, I mean, how else are they going to deal with a debt kind of overhang? Well, I have to say, Connor, I'm, I'm, whatever, people, whatever people's initial, I'm glad you've explained it as you have. I'm very, very proud to, that Unite is associated with a paper, which is about uh, providing the supports necessary for small and medium business yeah. in, in this country. Uh, arising from a pandemic, which is of nobody's making. I'm very, very proud of that. Uh, and I, and I, I fundamentally believe, and I know from a private conversation me and you had a couple of weeks ago, that you fundamentally believe that businesses, um, by the nature of being in business, if they've got a choice um, when they start opening up between paying these debts, which yeah. are not of their making, or, or hiring another, another waitress or another chef or another shop assistant, um, you know, people no. won't be hired. This is it, um, and and that and, and 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 that's where we as trade unionists um, really get concerned because the way out of this pandemic surely is to 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 use it to learn from the mistakes of the previous mm. emergency, uh, and to put the measures in place that that build uh, an indigenous economy and that support business to 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 hire as many people as possible back into sustainable and mm. safe jobs. Um, I'm going to turn. Uh, I'm going to turn a bit now yeah. to to the. To the yeah. Do you want, yeah. Sorry, just to make clear that, like you know, like it's certainly not that we're not calling for these supports as a free pass. That that the pitch quote quote mm. there is full access, uh, but to the a full access, but to the workplace for the trade unions and full trade union, but recognition. I mean that just has to happen. So. Like before, any kind of business kind of supports, which are necessary, it's not a free. Uh, it's it's not a free ride here, lads. That businesses also need to acknowledge that trade unions have a role here as well, and they need to start recognising trade unions. I'm aware, Connor, that uh, as people might be listening to this, you and I, when you and I use the word trade unions, we we 
we we use that 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 phrase and that and that and that description in, in the way that right. we we as progressive use it. But for for people who aren't maybe familiar or, or, or aren't in trade unions who might be listening to this, or some people in in Ireland have 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 never read mm. anything positive about trade unions in their lives because it's hard to find anything in yeah. the mainstream media that's positive about trade unions. But 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 trade unions really yeah. is workers Absolutely. working together, isn't Absolutely. that right? Uh, so 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 what we're calling for here is is the right of workers, first of all, that the state should should take the emergency measures necessary yes. to support business. And that, that means that, that me and you, out of our taxes every week or every month, um, would be, instead of paying, as we did in 2008, um, you know, people who own football clubs in London for unsecured mm. debts that they held, that, we, that the money that we, were, that we will have to pay out of our taxes would go to supporting the business, the small and medium business sector in Ireland. And you're saying the quid pro quo for that is that uh, that those workers collectively should, for bailing out these businesses, um, should be treated properly, and that their collective organisations um, should have access. And I'm gonna I'm gonna move the conversation into that space now, the access space particularly, because I'm I'm really concerned, Conor. I know you've been following this um, about the the discussion that's taking place at the moment about businesses opening up and we've seen strong lobby groups from the construction sector from the restaurant association of ireland and this week from the licensed business association all legit all making legitimate points by the way we want these places open as soon as is safe and sustainable um but but the safe is the key word there um and as of now there seems to be you know no clarity and i'm saying this from some knowledge I'm saying this having talked to politicians. I'm saying to this having had the conversations within the uh, uh, within the, uh, the the trade union movement and the leaders of the trade union movement. There seems to be a passing of the book um, in terms of um, who is responsible for carrying out the mm. safety inspections. And the paper the paper has specific ideas. Yes, on that I mean, but uh, we call for. Um for the trade unions, um, for reps from the trade unions, it, it, like to have access back to the workplace for like health and safety kind of, um, you know, reasons uh, just to see, just to make sure that their kind of members are being kind of protected. I mean, it's something that um, certainly I came across tripping that they've given me of a mandate and um, he would really kind of push this on me. And um, and I was I, like, we kind of uh, like looking at Dave's help. Uh, we had written a bill back in 2017 that was put before the Adal that would actually kind of do this. And Finley Fall and Finley Gale kind of voted against it then. Um, but yeah, so I mean, it, it's something that's that's the norm in, in in other kind of EU states. It's the norm in Britain. Um, trade unions have access uh, to the workplace for. For health and safety reasons, as long as they give kind of prior notice. So I mean, it's just something that 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 just isn't done here. But given that this is a this is a health uh, crisis, and it's one where uh, frontline workers are, and I don't think it's it's too much of a hyperbole, but are pretty much putting their lives in the hands here. That that we need that trade union that that trade unions need to make sure that their members are being kind of protected, and that they need like like to have access to the workplace for that reason. Yeah, just to be for 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 those listening, mandate our sister trade union represents uh, workers in the the retail yeah. and bar sector, 
Um, so clearly, Dave, good friend, yeah, yeah. good friend of mine and yours, Connor. Um, would have been would have been working uh, on that and and uh, around the decency for yes. Dunn's campaign yes. and, and other issues that have arisen yes. other issues that have arisen since and of course you you know unite and other trade unions but unite in this case you know we 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 are developing and we have a keen interest in what happens yes. in the hospitality sector and we have a large large membership in yes. the construction sector and and I think Julia Marciniak put mm. it very very clearly in a recent blog that she wrote yeah. Unite hospitality coordinator and and she she put it this way she said. If the staff get sick, exactly. the customers yes. are going to get sick. Um, and I think to, to, to us in Unite, this is about mm. public confidence. Uh, this isn't just about people, faceless people, faceless bureaucracies, writing up standards that, that we would all love to apply. Uh, and then those standards being handed over to state agencies um, no. who, who don't have the resources, who don't have the manpower, who don't have the, the, the inspection regime, regimes in place. I had a, a conversation recently with, 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 with um, somebody in one of those state agencies at, at a very high level, uh, and the person was very, very clear to me that no. they're just not in a position at the moment to, car- to mm. carry out on-site inspections. And this conversation was in the context of, of Keelings. And, 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 you know, people, I've said enough about that, and we'll say it somewhere else as well, but people know what went on in Keelings in the last few weeks. The bottom line here is it's about public confidence. Um, so, if the, if so, what what the paper calls for, Connor, is is something um, really that that the workers themselves would be would have an, an input not only into the guidelines mm. that are going to affect their lives and by extension the safety mm. of uh, and confidence of the customers, um, but but also that the inspection regime to make sure those guidelines are being followed would have uh, Absolutely. those workers involved. That is, I mean, that it's is not, it's not right. exactly it. And just going back to kind of construction, which like Unite has a has a very keen interest in uh, there, obviously. Like they're talking about opening up construction sites uh, pretty much first, like, you know. And like um, hmm. um, these, these regimes, we would argue, need to be put in place. I mean, this is where kind of collective agreements really 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 benefit and like really show because there's as anyone who you know anyone who has a job knows that like going to management over stuff that is contentious i mean it's a it's a crapshoot you know uh like you need that safety of numbers to actually really kind of press upon stuff that is definitely a workplace contentious issue and there's no doubt about it that the health and safety of of workers in construction, in, in like restaurants and in retail um, as well, is going to be literally a frontline issue um, in a post-COVID uh, or, or a post-lockdown kind of situation. And trade unions have a huge role to like play in that. And bogus self-employment, Connor, how, how does that impact yeah, I sectors mean, such um, as that? Again, and, and you know, this is stuff, I mean, this is building upon work that like Unite has done in terms of like construction, um, uh, along with Opatsy as well, but like, um, like if we're looking at it as a stop, like again, if we can focus in on, like instead of going for the rights and wrongs of of bogus and self employment, I'll just talk about it in terms of the COVID crisis. Um, so just to say that even mm-hmm. in terms of the, of the COVID crisis, we are looking at twelve to eighteen months of stop start stop start kind of situations. We may have some kind of loosening of like restrictions, but it may be kind of put back 
in place again. People may be working for a while and then going back on the goal again. So we need to have a credible and viable PRSI system being kind of built up. Now, putting like raising those costs to like an EU average, that'll take time because uh, you know businesses are in a very sensitive kind of space. But where we can get the, you know, where we can kind of start is in bogus self-employment, which technically is against the rules of, of, of social protection and of revenue as well. But it's certainly not enforced. They, you know, up until 18 months ago, both of those kind of organizations were, they were still trying to maintain that there's no such thing really as, as bogus self-employment. But but we know that there are thousands of, of workers who, who have found out to their cost that they're not actually entitled to like job seekers benefit at this moment because they haven't been, they were technically down as being kind of self-employed and they didn't actually know that. So, I mean, if we want a viable kind of system, then we need to build up our like social protection kind of fundings. And that means straight away, really kind of a coming down hard on any form of bogus self-employment where, where people are forced into signing sole trade or self-employment um, type kind of contracts, um, a contract for service instead of a contract of service. Um, and it's purely to avoid tax. It's purely to avoid tax on the part of the employer. And really, it needs to be kind of stamped out. Um, in the last uh, five or six minutes, uh, Connor, because, you know, in, in, in what I call, I continue to call until I see evidence otherwise, the, the crushing consensus um, that, that tends to fill the public conversation on yeah. these issues when we hit these emergencies. Um, ideas uh, such as we are discussing and such as are in the document, uh, Hope or Austerity, uh, a roadmap for a better, fairer Ireland after the pandemic, um, are, are immediately... Uh, positioned by some people as in some way radical. You've pointed out that the, that the right to yes. access is something that exists in the UK. And you've pointed out that in terms of a move towards, and we're just talking about a move towards the sort of PRSI uh, payments and protections, you're talking yes. about a European average. We're not talking about radical measures no, here I by mean, any outside. Yeah, because I mean, like we, like we were very conscious of, um, we, you know, having a document that, that speaks to the crisis and the short to medium term kind of measures that are entire that are entirely kind of doable. Um really they you know there's there's no there's no legal kind of bar to doing these things. It's a political will it is it, really what is stopping them, you know? So then that it that gets into kind of pressure on it. But like it's not saying that this is all that we ask for. It's saying that in this short term, given this crisis, these are things that will speak to a better Ireland while also speaking to the um, issues that have come to the fore because of COVID. Yeah, but you mentioned uh, Dave Gibney earlier on and um, uh, as, as people will yeah, know, yeah. I work very, very close to, with Dave in terms of uh, the Right to Water campaign, the Right to Change political policies and, and a number of other issues. And Dave's a brilliant communicator and, mm. and, and, and I think he put it best um, to me um, during the, the austerity era when, when, he, when he simply points out the, the, the decisions that are made and that were made in that scenario and the decisions that are now being made and the decisions... There will be made as we ent- as we hopefully exit the pandemic. Yes, our political choices. Mm. They're nothing more than that. 
there is no there is no great tome of wisdom that we have to abide by. There is nobody waving a big stick at us. Um, really, we we the people of Ireland, we the workers, we the trade unionists, we the the activists, we the progressives need to come together to to make sure in whatever way we can, and we, we've seen in Right to Water how we can do it. We need to make sure that we impact and that we use our unity to impact the future choices that are going to be made to make sure we, we don't enter another era of austerity because the measures that we're looking for um, mm. are doable, are, le- are legal, are mm. rational, are practical. And, and, and you know, it's, a, it's about building the, an alternative consensus to, to try to build the political p- power and pressure necessary to impact Absolutely, that decision. You know, I mean, isn't it really? And like, you know, like this has been done before. I mean, this has been done in the last five, six years. I mean, I, I don't want to put forward kind of right to water as a template because I, I don't think it is. Um, but, but what it did show or it does show is that, as you said there, um, public pressure and organized pressure and trade union uh, pressure can be put on the political system to effect genuine a progressive change for the vast majority, for, for actually all citizens um, in the state, you know? So, I mean, that's the template really, you know? Now, in terms of the strategies and the tactics, these will obviously change um, going forward. But the overall, but the overall kind of, um, you know, kind of lesson is that that's what really needs to happen. So part of what we're trying to do is saying that, you know, in, in terms of what the trade union movement can do, these are kind of asks that are worth kind of fighting for. Well, absolutely. And and I think that's a that's a good point at, at, at which to leave it, Connor. Um, I know from uh, Unite's point of view and, and I know from, from other people, uh, progressives across civil society, across the trade union movement, across community mm. groups who are all still there. Um, the phrase um, that I use a lot, really, um, it is only our division um, that, 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 that keeps uh, those who oppress mm. us in the positions to do so. Um, we are absolutely committed and we, 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 we want to work with others to build yeah. uh, the cross-community yeah. uh, pressure um, across, across three or four pillars, the trade union pillar, the community pillar, the political pillar, yeah. uh, civil society groups. And Connor, uh, I, I want to, to thank you oh, for you, your work in terms of, of, of um, putting together such a cohesive document. There are other aspects of the document we haven't touched upon that people should read in relation to, to public housing and other, and, and, and other issues. Um, you know, the document uh, fits together. It's, it's a contribution. Uh, your contribution and, and, and analysis is is um, very, very much appreciated. And uh, I and I hope many, many others who will listen to this, who will read the document and who will engage in the conversation are determined um, to to work towards building that pressure point mm-hmm. as we go through this. Um, and okay. I want to thank you very much for your help, Connor. And I look forward to, to, to you being very much part of it. Oh, thank and, you very and, much, and thanks for Cheers. joining thank me this you. evening. Okay, so that's it from episode four. I hope you really enjoyed that interview. There's a lot of food for thought in there. So until episode five, be safe, everybody, and let's get to work. Let's get to work building that movement, that political movement, the trade union movement, and most of all, that community-driven movement that can ensure 
that unlike in the previous era of austerity, out of this emergency, out of this pandemic, we truly deliver the sort of society that's fit for all of the citizens as we move forward. Be safe. Talk soon.